Welcome to the At The Coalface podcast with your host, Jason Greenwood. This podcast is all about what it's really like in the trenches of digital and e-commerce. Miss Juliana Jackson, it is amazing to have you on the pod today. Really good to be here, uh, Jason. I'm uh, I'm waking up to a great day talking to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm finishing off a great day talking to you. So it is awesome, absolutely awesome to have you here, the CLV lady. Which will will I know that's your you you're kind of known across LinkedIn for that. We'll we'll get into what that actually means a bit later on. But uh, I guess just for the benefit of the audience, uh, you know, the way in which we met, we met, we met on LinkedIn. We, I guess, we have a very similar view of the world. We, we very much view relationships in e-commerce, both from a vendor, I guess, a vendor partnership perspective, but also from a merchant to a customer perspective. We value those relationships deeply, and our view of the world is so well aligned. Uh, you know, the number of times that I've agreed with posts that you've made, uh, the number of times that I've sort of been cheering in the background for some of the concepts and some of the ideals that you're pushing out to the market and some of the honesty and the rawness that you're pushing out to the market. It's, it's very, very refreshing. Uh, you know, and even times where, uh, you know, some of the things that you're talking about might hurt your opportunity to do more business as a vendor partner for merchants. Um, you know, you're not, you're not too worried about that. You're all about pretty much really blatant, raw honesty, uh, and I, I really do respect that about you. Um, and you know, I know you've been in this game for a long time now with OmniConvert. Maybe you can just give us the the brief elevator pitch about what OmniConvert is, who they are, how you came to be with OmniConvert, a little bit about the tech. But I'm not so concerned about the tech um, because I think what we'll talk about more is about the concepts that the tech allows merchants to implement. Um, on the back of that technology, but hand it over to you for a bit of your kind of elevator pitch about who you are and how you got to be where you are. Damn, man, you made me such a good intro. I don't know what to say to you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, um, uh, I don't, you know, that I never talk about uh, the tech. I'm, I'm one of those people that um, I guess, uh, you know, we I push it without pushing it. <laughs> But um, yeah, I've been with OmniConvert for two years now. I've had a you know crazy growth inside the company, but I've been uh, working with e-commerce and SaaS for the last ten years, and uh, it makes me you know wonder about my age. <laughs> like, damn, I've been into th in this for a while. So I had the opportunity to see different facets of both SaaS and e-commerce as they developed over time, and it's crazy if you think about it in. 2014 2015 when the boom of facebook advertising was just like all over the place and now you were looking in the market and you see that things that used to be so popular and so effective in the past are now you know going to you know disappear more and more every day and i think technology has kept up with that and omniconvert is one of those companies that uh, you know I think uh, had that forethinking. I mean, Valentin had that uh, forethinking, forward thinking about you know what's going to happen in the market. And I guess a lot of reasons why you know we agree on a lot of things, Jason, is because we have that market knowledge that a lot of people omit when you know they're doing business. Be it, you know, be it being a vendor, being a you know agency or a consultant, and uh, you know and whatnot. 
but yeah, I mean, I've been, uh, I've been doing this for some time. Uh, I don't know, like, I don't like talking about myself that much, but what I do is I'm pushing the values of uh, customer experience and customer value optimization, which basically is just another form of saying that, you know, I'm, uh, I'm encouraging uh, brands to run their business based on, uh, you know, customer lifetime value and based on profitability. Obviously, the customer lifetime value theories and uh, methodology do not apply to any business model in e-commerce. But this is another, you know, one of those uh, can of worms <laughs> that we can talk about later on and the different facets of uh, customer lifetime value. And uh, yeah, I mean, with OmniConvert, we, uh, I've been, uh, I've actually been stalking Valentino LinkedIn since 2015. I've been trying to, you know, work for him. I remember the first time I messaged him was in uh, 2016. He was, he was hiring salespeople. And I said, you know, I'm going to go as a salesperson and then, you know, do something more inside the company. But he uh, brushed me off. <laughs> In 2015 and he sent me to his sales manager that doesn't work for the company anymore and then I saw he was hiring for a product owner and I liked the concept of review and I used to do that before so you know I applied for the job he called me in the same day and uh, when he called me it was funny because he told me who it is and I was like oh shit I know you already <laughs> and he was like okay so I was uh, I, I went to and I interviewed with him. It was a three-hour-long interview where we just talked. I was all over the place, so I still don't know how he hired me because <laughs> I was all over the place. But yeah, I just started in the in the next day. I'm like one of those sub LinkedIn stories that you know you see someone and you hire them on the spot. So I'm one of those people that was hired on the spot, and we took a reveal to market. And it was uh, and it was crazy because uh, in the beginning, and you know, I always tell you this, you know, like we've been talking about what's happening right now for the last, I myself or two, you have been speaking about this way longer than me, and we were talking about the issues that will happen when you have an acquisition-centric mindset and you don't look at what happens post-purchase or you don't look at zero-party data or first-party data. And I remember when I was posting on LinkedIn two years ago, I was getting one like <laughs> from Valentin, and that was it and it was very hard to build you know that whole awareness and now we reach to the point where all these things start hurting so the software that we have comes as a support to all these e-commerce companies that are trying to adapt to this uh, ideology or methodology of uh, focusing on using their uh, first party or zero party data to inform their uh, you know their strategy so yeah it's a uh, it's gonna be you know it's crazy for us right now I don't know if I answered to your question, but it's just I'm excited about what I'm doing and I'm excited about, you know, seeing how this uh, this crazy industry has been uh, evolving since, you know, 2016. Awesome. You did answer the question. In fact, I, I got some bonus answers, so I'll take it whenever I can get it, Juliana. <laughs> uh, and it, I guess it's a testament, I guess, to, you know, knowing what you believe, being consistent with communicating the belief system to the market. Uh, having confidence in your product, having confidence in your ideas, having confidence in your platform, making sure that people understand the value that the platform brings without, you know, necessarily mentioning it by name, uh, and yeah. also the power of LinkedIn. I mean, at the end of the day, you, you know, you, you, you wouldn't have met Valentin probably without LinkedIn. You wouldn't have been able to sort of know what he was about. You wouldn't have been able to understand their business and what they were doing. You wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't have met that. You know, LinkedIn, LinkedIn is a is a great platform for allowing 
allowing people with a similar, I guess, worldview, particularly around the vertical or the business that they operate in, allowing that tribe to naturally develop. And, you know, you, it's, it's interesting that you said, you know, the first couple of posts, you know, you may have one like, whatever. I guess we all started there. I know I did. And, you know, you, you, you put out the first few posts and literally there's zero engagement, none yeah. whatsoever. Uh, and it's, it's, it's disheartening. You know, I really didn't, I really wasn't that active on LinkedIn until early 2018. And I just decided I'm going to go all in on LinkedIn. I'm going to do, I'm going to do basically every type of content that they allow me to create on the platform. I'm going to do, I'm going to take every new opportunity on the platform and aggressively and, and, and connect in a targeted way to people that are in my industry. Um, but I, but I also worked hard at making not a complete echo chamber. So I did, you know, I did connect with people that were sort of on the fringes of our industry, but you know, at least would kind of understand what my content was about to build that initial, uh, you know, that critical mass of connections that would actually find something valuable in the content that I was producing. And I think that's really interesting. And I think, you know, apart from all the other things that we talk about, the power of LinkedIn to create these types of long-term value-add relationships where you turn into professional friends and, you know, it goes far, far beyond, oh, hey, can we be a, you know, a technical partner? It, it goes way beyond that. And we support each other across, across, uh, each of our businesses, we support each other on LinkedIn, um, you know, and, and I guess that that is that concept of, you know, it takes a village. It really does. But if you yeah. don't, if you don't, if you don't connect, if you don't create content, then your village doesn't know where to find you. And, and I guess that's a really important thing. And, and I, and that's one of the things I do love about you is, is your consistency of putting content out there. And, you know, even when maybe the engagement isn't, incredible or wasn't back in the day um and you know the irreverence uh, in your posts and and the you know the, the lack of concern i guess about rubbing other people in the industry up the wrong way you, you pretty much don't give a shit about that you're like i'm gonna speak my truth and yeah. i'm gonna let, i'm gonna let the, uh, i'm gonna let the chips fall where they may and I, and i appreciate that level of honesty now i guess if we you know, because I've had Nick from Lexer on here, and and you know, you know, you know Nick, and yeah, you know, I mean, you know, the, we we have a few connections in common across the industry because there is a growing legion of us out there, I guess, that really want to help brands understand the not only the changing nature of the market and consumer expectations, but really the value to them and their end customers about focusing on the relationship that you have with that customer for the long term, as opposed to, as you said, instead of just saying, let's just jam more customers into the top of the funnel with cheap and easy and dirty, you know, cheap and dirty acquisition that's non-targeted. Let's, instead of doing that, let's be more thoughtful about how we treat our existing customers. Let's give them the love and the respect that they deserve because, you know, you've put out some amazing data around the number of repeat purchases across all of your customers and the data ain't good. So maybe you can speak to that. Oh man, it's not. It's really, really not. I uh, this this the benchmarking thing came out. Uh, I was uh, I was with Valentin and um, we were looking uh, internally. We did this benchmarking internally in our backend uh, as far as to see how are these people doing. Because um, we have, I, I guess, when we did the benchmark, we were close to uh, 
a thousand and two hundred uh, Shopify users, active uh, active users that were you know pouring data in uh, in uh, in our software, and we were curious because we have a lot of calls with uh, with these people, with these users, because it's not unfortunately it's not a self serve you know type of app, and you need to help people and support them at least you know when you when it comes to like we're selling a mindset, we're not selling a tool, right? And we have been seeing that retention rate is really, really bad. And you see CPG companies or companies that sell consumable and product uh, consumables and products that need replenishment, right? They they had very, very bad retention rate, but huge numbers of customers. So we we just basically said, you know, like let's see how everyone is doing on different uh, you know verticals or niches. And yeah, I mean the data is bad, like across you know, geographies uh, all over the world right now, the retention rate is somewhere around 23, 25% for most of the most of the stores on average. But if you look at, at it in deep, you will see that the retention rate for verticals is really, really bad. Like we have seen that maybe the best retention rate right now has been in the home and garden <laughs> uh, category. And I think that's because of COVID, right? So that's not like a permanent type of, um, uh, I guess benchmark because everybody has been on lockdown and the consumer behavior changed. So when you're sitting in the house all day, you want to improve how your house looks. You want to improve your garden. You want to improve, you know, the space that you are in. So of course, those sales plummeted in that uh, in that uh, vertical. But honestly, I look at data every day and I work with all kinds of uh, e-commerce uh, companies, direct to consumer marketplaces retailers that uh, you know are doing direct to consumer as well and the data is bad <laughs> like people i don't think i found more than a hundred brands over time that actually have more than 30 percent retention rate which is scary right so I mean, when you see this type of information, the reason why I guess I'm so unfiltered on social media is because a lot of people are full of shit. And I think we are experiencing a period of time when marketing has taken over e-commerce and people do not think about the, I guess now unsexy stuff, such as running a business, such as profitability, such as supply chain or logistics and you know fulfillment and uh, whatnot. People are mostly thinking about the marketing, and I think just having that blind eye towards your business is very, very damaging because everyone just talks about ads, about email marketing and SMS marketing, I don't know, TikTok influencers. Like, of course, those things matter, they help, you know, they're part of the picture. But are you really running your business? only based on your marketing wins or marketing efforts you can't that's why so many people are doing bad because they do not see or understand the full picture so they're just focusing on the top of the funnel as you say you were saying earlier instead of trying to look at their post purchase data and that's you know at their historical data to inform better decisions for the top of the funnel like you could do better acquisitions you could do better communication you could do better campaigns or flows and so on but people don't do that effort. That's the problem. And I think right now we have the the entry barrier in e-commerce marketing is so small that anyone with a laptop can become easily an influencer or a thought leader or whatever 
that spreads so much bad advice on social media and because you have a following and because you have engagement because you post random shit on social media people might believe it's true because it's the herd mentality right and you see people that i don't know how they're famous i'm not gonna name names do not you know i don't want to mess up your podcast but honestly like i open linkedin or i open twitter and i see people that are famous for i don't know what reasons famous in the sense you know in our community and they're saying stuff like i don't know uh if uh, your customers uh, didn't uh, open their first email you should send the first email again like what the fuck you know is that supposed to do with anything and people are talking subject lines and people are talking um you know uh CTAs and offers and sending them 20% discount and then 30% and then 40% and it's like what is this you know you cannot just uh, and, and the problem with brands, the crazy thing is that brands actually are listening to this stuff, are doing it, and they're damaging their business, or they're working with, um, you know, using, uh, you know, what their competitors are doing in terms of strategies and try to apply them blindly to their business, but they're ignoring basic business development stuff as, you know, what are, is your product, what is your business model, what is your customer lifecycle, what is your product frequency like there's so many things that brands overlook and unfortunately this causes those bad retention rates that bad uh, you know customer lifetime value and those negative margins and you know like it's a whirlpool that i see a lot of companies that you know are in the space that are going through where they lose money with every new customer that they bring and they cannot stop putting money on advertising and I'm, I'm not saying that you shouldn't do ads. I'm saying you should do smarter ads. I'm saying you should do more creative ads and better targeted ads. But instead, it's just like the same old spray, uh, spray and pray. And I know personally companies that uh, spend $200,000, uh, $250,000 on ads every month. And they just acquire shitty customers that never come back again. Because these benchmarks are showing that uh, on average, a brand loses 75 to 85% of all the customers that they acquire at one time after just one order. And I was looking at customer distribution for a lot of our users. And let's say you have, I don't know, I had a call last week with someone and they were selling a, a, you know, apparel for parties and, you know, like very cosplay type of stuff, right? So they were having a lot of sales. But from 100,000 customers that they acquired in two years, uh, 80,000 uh, 80, 80, of them purchased only once and never came back. And then from the rest of them, there were like 10,000 that bought two times and just the rest were like three or four times. And the product is good because you're doing cosplay. So that was their ideal, you know, uh, customer. Like if you're doing cosplay, you always want to, you know, upgrade your, uh, you know, your outfits because you're going to different events. You're doing, you know, different, uh, different things. But the problem is that they had the shipping situation as always. Everyone has this problem, a supply chain uh, problem that people were so disgusted with their service that they never came back. But they didn't focus on doing some sort of surveys or some sort of, um, qualitative research so people were just like bombarded with discounts and discounts so if you have someone that's very mad that recently bought from you and you're sending them discounts and promos that person is gonna be like what the fuck so you have to ask yourself some questions and 
I guess as good as social media is, uh, Jason, at the same time, it's not that good because you have to have some sort of filter to, to be able to discern good uh, advi advice from bad advice, uh, in ex you know, experience from being an amateur. amateur. And uh, it's very hard on social media because anyone can trick you right now when it comes to following and likes. And there's so many people using bots to like their post and you see bullshit comments. Oh, this is interesting. I love it. I love it. I love it. But it's actually bots and pods and, you know, like people are doing sneaky, sneaky shit. So the reason why I am as I am, again, is because I'm trying to cut through the bullshit and yeah, of course, it's damaging sometimes the business that I want to, you know, I might be able to get. But at the same time, it's streaming and weeding out people that I don't want to work with anyway. So the people that reach out to me are people that are usually burnt by having bad experiences with agencies or with consultants, with people that, you know, did some sort of, uh, I guess, strategies before that they basically took from other people or, you know. Uh, things that they read online and didn't work and damage their business. So they're coming to me and ask me to help them, you know, move further because they don't know what to do anymore. So I guess I attract a different, I guess, a specific type of, uh, of e-commerce company. And uh, yeah, I mean, those benchmarks don't lie. And uh, it's insane amount of data. Like everyone who wants to see these benchmarks, they're on the website, omniconvert.com. They're free. You don't have to fill out any form. We don't collect any data. You can just click and watch them. Because, you know, Jason, I ungated all the content on the website. So it's free for everyone. And no one is going to contact you from our company. <laughs> I, I love that. I love the. I love the ungating and and you know we 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 look at there's a few, there's been a few people and I've been railing against content gates and you know I don't mind I don't mind a a pay gate if you've got a, some sort of subscription subscription service I don't have a problem with that but 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 you know get, making me fill out a, a a bullshit email form just so I can download a piece of mar what is effectively a piece of marketing material from your business um, you know there's a there's there's actually an exchange value a lot of these brands they say hey come download our our white paper for free it's not actually free there's actually a value exchange you're, you're giving up valuable data ie your email address and they're giving you something that is of questionable value because you can't even see it until you give up something that is of known value which is your contact email address so it's an interesting dichotomy we're seeing but we are seeing you know a number of businesses and a number of vendors take that same approach now finally after years and years of me effectively making fun of and berating these businesses that put up content yeah. gates on their website it's good to see a slow change in the industry but if we if we if we walk back a little bit i guess at the the statistics the the benchmarks that you guys are producing Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, that actually literally breaks my heart. I'm not, I'm not, that, that's yeah, not, right? that, that's <laughs> not, that's literally not hyperbole. You know, if I was in any one of these businesses, it, whether as an owner or an e-commerce manager or a digital marketer, I don't care kind of almost what role I played in these businesses. If I knew that that was the statistic of retention, that we had an, an, 80% churn rate, which is effectively what you're saying. The opposite yeah. of retention is churn, right? Yeah. So if, if we effectively say that we have uh, uh, an 80 to a 90% churn rate and we're having to refill the funnel all the time with new customers that we then are going to burn anyway because our track record shows that we burn them, um, that would literally break my heart. It would it would crush my spirit to want to even continue to work in these businesses because I would be I would be 
it's an unconscionable thing to me to do such horrific brand damage to a brand that these people not only hate you so much that they will never shop with you again, but if they are that disgruntled, they will be very vocal in the marketplace. Because when good things happen, 95% of the customers say nothing because they expect good things to happen because they're paying for good things to happen. But when bad things happen, they become very vocal very fast across social media, across their their internal personal network of friends and family uh, and exactly. community. Uh, the, the damage is so long-term and it is so, the ripple effect of that churn and burn mentality of these brands is flippin' terrifying. Uh, and it, it, it genuinely breaks my heart to think that, and th these are statistics that I've seen consistently across a lot of the businesses that I work with, or they don't even currently have a system in place to even be able to measure that. And so if we if we look at that, you know, a lot of these businesses may not even know what their retention or their churn rates are. They may not even know what their CLV is, or if they do know what their CLV is, they're calculating it wrong uh, mm -hmm. because, they're, because they're not looking at it by customer. They're not looking at it by channel. They're not taking into account CAC. They're not taking into account um, cost of service. They're not taking into account a whole bunch of things that you need to be taking into account to understand not only where you're churning and at what point you should consider a customer churned, but also what their lifetime value is of the customers you haven't churned. Um, and so if we, if we take those concepts and we run with that, how does your platform, how does the OmniConvert set of platforms, both Quant and Qual, how does it help brands to better understand these metrics in their business and, and ensure that they're actually accurate to begin with? Oh, man. So uh, I just want to like, uh, before I answer, I want to go back to something what you, uh, that you were saying earlier that is so true. The fact that a lot of people don't know their retention rate or customer lifetime value. And a lot of people confuse retention rate with repeat purchase rate, right? Which is something that I've noticed lately happening a lot. And you know why it's happening? Because um most e-commerce companies right now i mean not all of them because there's a lot of you know other e-commerce platform users but because we're in the shopify world and we're you know we're working with shopify we're working with clavio the problem that i see is that both of these companies do not show retention related metrics in their dashboard and of course they don't do it because they need to show their roi right so any any software company needs to show you know what's your roi so of course you know they are focusing on showing sales metric versus uh, retention metrics or versus lifetime value or profitability metrics so a lot of people look at the repeat purchase rate and usually that one is double or triple than the retention rate right because it's not looking at the whole exactly as you said it's not taking into calculation acquisition cost is not taking into calculation uh you know profitability per channel and so on uh frequencies uh, average days between transactions like they're not looking at that thing and just the repeat purchase rate is the classic you know uh okay you know customers that came back to place another order okay of course you might have I don't know, 70% of your database that's placed to orders, right? So you would think that, oh my God, my repeat purchase rate is high. So a lot of people confuse that. I don't know if you encounter, but I'm encountering that massively in, uh, in the last period, mostly because I'm in this retention space. So a lot of times when I have calls 
with people, they are coming in the call and they're telling me the retention rate is 45% or 50% or 60%. And I'm like, wow, you know, that's awesome. And then, you know, they end up installing a review and it's actually 18% or 30% or, you know, like it's, it's, it's so much lower because they are not calculating it right. And I don't blame the brands necessarily for this because they are looking at what they have in their faces, right? So if they're served this type of information, they, you know, is what they know. So uh, I do, I am, uh, I mean, I don't know how much you're gonna like this, but I am mad a bit on, uh, you know, on all these big technology companies in e-commerce that instead of focusing on doing also some sort of education because they have much more leverage than you or me or I don't know, Lexer or other companies, right? They are just technology companies that are just emerging more and more in the space. Shopify, Klaviyo, uh, Privy, and all these big, you know, uh, technology companies have so much leverage, right? So they could do much more in terms of educating uh, merchants to be better informed about their data. But instead, they are all focused on the sales activity and merchandising instead of being focused on profitability because the app has to pay its price so they're showing you exactly how the app is making you revenue instead of how the app is making you profitable so what we do with uh, i mean at amicomvert we have been through a lot of phases so valentin when he started in 2013 with the omniconvert as you know we were in the conversion rate optimization space and um we have probably one of the best uh, CRO tools in the market. It's just that at the moment, we didn't know how to sell it. We didn't know how to position it. We were just thinking that if we're going to make the best CRO tool, it's enough. Customers are going to come to us, you know, which was wrong. And they didn't. Actually, they didn't. And at the same time, a few months after we released uh, Explore, uh, optimizely released their platform, but they did problem awareness. They did it better. So, of course, they, you know, they, they took the market as you know it's a success story and then google optimize appeared which was free even though it's super restrictive and you cannot do too much with it it was free so it was very hard to to uh to grow in that market of conversion rate optimization so we focus more on managed services across you know different e-commerce companies and the you know the managed services kind of pushed the app further and we were very successful working with Whirlpool and Samsung and, uh, you know, World Peace and, um, oh, my God, there's so many companies, Avon, Sephora, and so on. But it's, it's so hard when you're like a Romanian hub in Eastern Europe to, you know, to grow in the market, in a global market, right? Because not we don't have that many customers in Romania. Like, all of our customers are across the U.S., Australia, uh, Latin America, and uh, Western Europe or U.K., and so on. And... In 2018, we have noticed a very big, uh, I guess, drop in terms of conversion rate optimization uh, contracts in our company, but also with the partners that we had back then. And it, it was happening because we noticed that even though conversion rate optimization is very important, it does not sustain the business long term. Whatever you do on the website and the experience on the website, it's not enough right? Because everyone back then was looking at traffic AOV and conversion rate. So we have noticed that after six to nine months, the contracts were becoming obsolete because there's so much, I mean, you always should test and you always should improve, but there's so much that an agency can do or a software can do in terms of, you know, growth, 
like actual growth. So Valentin had the has you know he he he's a big fan of the art of film segmentation and he we, we actually revealed first was a Magento plugin. <laughs> a lot of people don't know that. We actually were a Magento plugin that was doing RFM segmentation, but then we realized that we can uh, implement more quantitative but also qualitative data in the same tool to give the whole specter of the of the truth for uh, for an e-commerce company. So we took the decision to go with Shopify, and this is when uh, I was uh, I started working with uh, with Valentin. I took I took Reveal to market. And uh, we started working with uh, with Shopify, and we launched there in the store in June last uh, in 2020. Yeah, in June 2020, last uh, year actually. It's one year old. Can you believe it? <laughs> I didn't even think about that. But it's actually yeah. On the 24th of June, we launched the uh, review in the Shopify store officially, and it was a very big struggle to figure out how do you promote this in the Shopify ecosystem. So uh, you know. The fact that we were focusing on RFM segmentation, you know that RFM segmentation determines customer value, we started developing a methodology that focuses on a customer lifetime value centric strategy for an e-commerce brand. So we build a whole methodology that we call, uh, I mean, it's not we're not the first ones to come with customer value optimization. The first one was Drew Sanoki that he came up with this concept is just that back when uh, he came up with this in 2015 and 2016, of course it wasn't working because everyone was on ad spree back then and Facebook was good and organic was good. So it didn't caught up back then. So what we did is we took the concept of customer value optimization and grew it to the direct to consumer market to make sense for direct to consumer market and for the retail market. And we use all our uh, learnings from the conversion rate optimization period and the mindset of, uh, uh, of a CRO is a mindset, right? So we, uh, we did a lot of experiments. Thankfully, the clients that we have were very open and understanding that we're trying to do something to change the way things are done. So they were very happy to help us test on them, lab test on them. And we have seen results in a very quick amount of time. I mean, you would probably think that six to eight months is not quick, but for retention is very quick because on retention, you don't see results in less than nine to 12 months on average, like results that are impressive and you know, like actually stick. Because anyone can uh, bamboozle retention rate over a monthly retention rate can be the easiest one to bamboozle, right? So we, uh, we build this, uh, this uh, customer value optimization. We designed this customer value optimization category. So the product was sustaining it because what Reveal does, you know, at the end of the day, it's an analytics software that shows you, that helps you understand how profitable you are, how can you be more profitable. And besides that quantitative data that like, predictive lifetime value, historical lifetime value, revenue versus margin, new versus existing customers, customer distribution, predictive analysis based on uh, customer lifetime value and RFM. We also have added the qualitative part to it to close the gap, which is the net promoter score. And the net promoter score that we do is not the classic on a, a scale of one to five or one to nine. How would you rec how much you, you know, would you recommend this to your friends and family? The way we do NPS is a bit different, and I, uh, I admit that we use the CRO mindset for this. And an example that I can give you, and I saw that Amazon is using as well, is like we do pre and post delivery NPS. 
So the, the, the actual MPS score is not an average, it's a delta from what happens before the order is received and what happens after the order is received. So this way you can calculate if the expectations that you create with your marketing are met post-purchase. A lot of people just do post-purchase MPS. So they are very blind to the expectations of the customers and they're blind to see if they have fulfilled those expectations. So an example that I can give you is uh, an example that we use with fashion brands. For instance, when uh, people spend some time, of course, to decide you know, what clothes they wanna buy, on the thank you page, uh, we asked them how confident are you that the you know the outfit that you picked up is gonna fit you. So they are always answering, you know, like I'm super confident, I'm not confident, I'm fairly confident. And the trick with the net promoter score is that post-purchase, you have to ask the same questions as you ask pre-purchase because you want to have the same data attributes and not do totally different, uh, totally different things. So post-purchase, you could ask, uh, how did the outfit fit? Are you happy with it? And they are saying, you know, I'm fairly happy, I'm super happy, and I'm not happy. This way, it can show you a lot of things. It can show you if the measurements on your website are accurate. It can show you if people, what type of cognitive dissonance people have after they made the purchase. Like the thank you page is the perfect place to heal that cognitive dissonance that happens after you buy something, like you feel bad, you regret it, uh, you know, you're, you're not trusting the brand, it might be your first purchase. Like, it's a lot of emotions, right? A lot of shit happening after you, you buy the first time. So we found by testing that that thank you page, besides, you know, making it more human and making it, you know, like, a very good experience, it's also a great way to introduce this pre-delivery uh, MPS where you can see what are the biggest fears that usually uh, that customers, that consumers usually have, because knowing this type of information can inform you how can you optimize the website experience, the shopping experience, to make sure that the people are not going through the same type of emotions and you know the the, the whole buying process is much more. Uh, I guess fluid and seamless than uh, you know it used to be, and it's very surprising. A lot of thing, a lot of times in CPG, this is a very big uh, uh, problem with cognitive dissonance because there's a lot of companies that sell subscriptions only, and they don't offer the possibility to the one-time purchase. So the consumer uh, tests the brand right before uh, actually committing to a subscription, and there's a lot of fear, right? Uh, what if I wore that for five days and I wouldn't like it? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. So a lot of these things should be, uh, I guess, um, uh, taken care of pre-purchase so you make sure that the, those consumers can trust you. And this is that type of value that you, you can offer on the website, in your product pages, in quizzes, in your blog, in your product description, in the conversations that people can have with the real person on your website that can help you overcome some sort of problems that you might have before you take a decision. Because usually if you do not take care of this qualitative aspect, you will uh, uh, you know deal with a lot of cancels and returns in your customer support team is gonna uh, you know be overwhelmed with the requests that happen on the website with people that are having issues making up their mind or people that are regretting the purchase and this is only adding to your acquisition cost because you know the cost as you I know you're a big fan of this like the cost of serving people is very very high right so all of these things that we do with the net promoter score are much more forward i guess than the classic SaaS net promoter score that a lot of people are using with the happy uh face or the straight face or the you know the sad face and 
this is where the conversion rate optimization experience that we have came in very clutch because we use the persuasion and the analytical and the experimentation mindset to create different types of uh, versions of net promoter score which are much more I guess effective for the brands because all these data attributes can be found in review, but they're also sent to Clavio. So when you go to Clavio, you have a customer that has a set of you know attributes. So each customer profile, uh, you know, for the for the users that we have with uh, with review, we also have the net promoter score. We also have this qualitative data, like happy, uh, for instance, uh, happy with the sizing, not unhappy with the sizing. Uh, what is their RFM score? What is the RFM group that they're in? Uh, the events, are like basically the dynamics of how people move to a segment to another. Like there's so much data that we uh, collect with uh, with reveal and we capture, and then it's sent into Clavio, it's, uh, it can be sent to Facebook Pixel or to your Google Analytics, so you can actually have a much more accurate view of, you know, what are your customers doing based on how much the money they're spending in, a, in your store. So I guess uh, there's a lot of softwares right now that are doing analytics, like it's an explosion, as you can see, of analytics software in e-commerce, but the thing is that this part here, of this qualitative research and the education we provide to our users is something that no one is touching on right now because you have to have a CRO mindset to be able to implement such type of uh, qualitative research in an e-commerce company and to do it seamlessly. So uh, just something that I wanna like tell you in exclusivity for now, what we're working on right now is to integrate our CRO platform directly into Reveal. So everyone that uses Reveal in the future will be able to uh, deploy A-B testing, they will be able to deploy pop-ups and will be able to deploy surveys and you know ribbons and all this type of website personalization directly from the same uh, place. And the segmentation engine that we have is not going to be only based on RFM modeling and predictive anal analysis. We're going to bring correlation factors such as geography, weather, uh, I guess, uh, also combined with Google Analytics and Google Tag Manager data, like, you know, last visited UTM content, UTM campaign, uh, products, uh, previous conversions, I don't know, everything. So we're just, we just like, we really think that the segmentation and the qualitative data part are the biggest things we bring to, to the table for e-commerce brands and also we educate them so we're just not you know throwing them the software and say okay goodbye we're also helping them by educating them with how they should be able to push their business from bleeding customers to you know happier customers and bigger profits it takes time that's the problem that's why it's a hard sell because everyone is like oh my god juliana it sounds so good but then when people actually are supposed to do the work, everyone is like, oh shit, but I don't want to wait 12 months to grow my retention. Unfortunately, guys, whoever tells you that you can grow your retention rate and customer lifetime value in less than nine to 12 months, if you do what you're supposed to do, they're lying to you. Again, it's so hard to do retention. And what pisses me off, Jason, with this I'm done. What pisses me off is that everyone in the industry is trying so hard right now to commoditize retention and to make it seem like it's a one size fits on, a fit only for every brand in the world some people do not even need retention if you're selling a low frequency if you're selling mattresses your retention rate if you just sell like one product the mattress without you know additional like pillows and whatever because there's a lot of companies that just sell one product with the low frequency 
you do not need retention. You do not need uh, segmentation uh, that granular. You might need it, of course, to do some better ads and better targeted ads, but your focus should be on acquisition. And the only lifetime value that you can talk about is the word of mouth. There's brands like this, uh, I guess, this retention thing that everyone is trying to make it seem like it's so easy and so commoditized and standardized is bullshit. Like you have to respect the one and most important thing that can dictate everything in your business. And that's the product. Tell me what you're selling and I'll tell you how to retain your customers. That's, that's the secret. But people are just posting three tips to grow retention on the website or on, on LinkedIn. And I just die inside. Like this should make, you know, if I had balls, they will crawl back in my stomach. Right. When I, when I read that, like it's, 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 it's mad. I'm sorry. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. No, lo love it. Love the passion. Love the depth. Love the detail. Um, it's a lot to unpick, so I won't try to unpick all of that. But one of the the <laughs> thing that stands out to me, and and that I think will be important for the audience to understand, is that CDPs or customer data platforms they're yeah. they're like the sexiest thing in the world right now. They're getting their time in the sun. You know, oh, I've yeah. known about CDPs for years, uh, mm -hmm. but they were they were way 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 down the priority list for most merchants. Uh, you know, especially merchants that already had a CRM or merchants that already had a marketing automation platform, or they maybe they were doing some basic BI and they had some BI tooling. Um, you know, maybe they were using Power BI, um, maybe they were using Glue, maybe they were using some other BI tool to do some elements of CLV calculation and retention calculation and margin calculation and and maybe even doing some of these calculations by channel. But obviously, with the death of third-party cookies and the war path that iOS and Apple are absolutely on around privacy, which which I think we're pretty much on the same page, it's absolutely got nothing to do with privacy, and it's got nothing to do with actually helping the consumer. It's about it's about closing off the walled gardens and making everybody, you know, basically pick a side. What side are you going to be on in terms of these big players from a marketing and 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 remarketing perspective? But let's let's not go there. But but the thing is, is that a lot, you know, there have been CDP technologies in the market for a long time. Uh, they're getting their time in the sun now. However, one of the things that is really obvious, and, and you pointed it out, you know, in multiple different ways, you pointed it out in what you just said, which is that CDPs really are marketing tools. They are not typically designed primarily to be operational tools to improve operational performance across the entire business. That's not, uh, you know, really what they're designed to do. Um, and, and that's because they are a quantitative data platform. They are not a qualitative data platform. They will tell you what is happening and with which customers, but they won't necessarily tell you why those things are happening. And so whilst they can create really important you know, dynamic segments and they can do, you know, RFM modeling, usually under different RFM scenarios, they can do different CLV calculations and they can usually ingest data from many different operational systems. And they might even be able to take into uh, account CAC and cost to serve and all that sort of stuff. But the missing piece of the puzzle from my perspective, and I've always believed this and I've always talked about this is the voice of customer element of this. And sure, you can infer things and you can collect things through Z-party data, zero-party data, and you can get their preferences and they'll give you certain amounts of information. But it is this delta between the pre-purchase expectation and the post-purchase experience that it is in that delta that I think makes your platform unique. And whether or not a merchant takes on board your platform or not, 
they should be thinking about that delta, the delta between what is the expectation you're setting through your branding and your marketing and what is the experience you're actually delivering on um, once a customer spends their hard-earned money with you. And it is generally in that delta that the biggest levers live for retention and CLV. But if you're not measuring that, and, and you know, even if you're, even if you're, uh, even if it le at the very least you did post-purchase, um, you know, some sort of post-purchase measurement, uh, at the very least, a lot of brands don't even do that apart from asking a customer to do a review of a product. And sometimes they'll automate that. But in terms of trying to understand what it is that motivated the customer to buy in the first place versus the experience you're actually giving them, that is the lever that is going to ultimately get them to buy again and be loyal with you. And if you can't close that gap, and if they aren't, if there's not a very tight correlation between those two, you can spend all the flipping money you want on acquisition, but you're going to immediately churn those customers 80 to 90% of the time after the first purchase. A hundred percent. And the data doesn't lie. Like this is the data. This is what happens. And it's, it's, insane that a lot of people optimize this uh, you know these reviews because you know what's funny is that these reviews uh, are sent to everyone like you might have a problem with the customer that returns and is very mad or has long shipping times whatever they didn't even receive the product and your automation hits them with the review which is also another hit that customer experience and customer lifetime value gets so a lot of these things are not very thought of the whole architecture architectural part of an e-commerce company is not very thought of i i met very few companies that have a seamless architecture that takes into consideration the events that might occur in the customer's uh, journey right so you will see companies that do promotions right now for father's day or whatever it is in america to people that recently purchased from them and basically those people have not yet received their order and they're selling the same shit with a lower price and those people will get those messages and they're gonna be like oh i just ordered the day before this can you give me a discount and this is gonna make customer support people give the discount or say no to the discount and this is gonna increase your acquisition cost so a lot of these things are not thought of like for instance i was shocked that brands do not remove first-time buyers from the promotional or campaigns until the, they get their product they just blast the shit they remember those mass messages on uh, uh what was it on mirk i think i'm old and i'm old i'm that old that i remember mirk right so or yahoo like you send mass messages but you don't think that those people actually have some bad experiences in the past so all this qualitative part is completely ignored so as you were saying at best they have a post-purchase one but the problem with that is it always focuses on the recommendation tip of the of the net promoter score it doesn't focus on understanding how was your experience with product x how was your experience with our services and how was your overall experience with the brand like the recommendation one the classic SaaS nps should be rethought of like it should be a, a different definition for the net promoter score for e-commerce because it's not the same shit. when you use the software you might have to re you, you, like it's okay to be happy standard face or straight face and mad or a detractor 
But when you're selling in e-commerce, when you're doing shopping, when you're doing consuming, right? Because this is the two things that you have to have your website optimized for. You have to have your website optimized for shopping. So for first-time buyers. And you have to have your, opti uh, your website optimized for consuming for the you know uh, second, third, fourth times buyer. So this is another thing that's very ignored. And this is where the net promoter score comes because it can teach you how to make your website uh, optimized for people that are shopping and for people that are consuming because it should be a two different type of experiences. You cannot treat everybody the same. So if you're just doing the recommendation, you know, how will would you, you know, you rate us and you know recommend us to your friends only post purchase, you're missing absolutely everything that happens. And it's associated with that, uh, with that, uh, with that purchase. Cause it's bad. Like I, I advise for any brand that listens to this, I advise you to not even try to sell to people, to your first-time buyers, without doing the net promoter score first to see if they're happy. Because if you assign campaigns to people that are unhappy, that's gonna take even bigger hits in your lifetime value and in your customer experience, in your retention, and on your cost, your acquisition cost. So all of these things require help in terms of an architectural point of view, a system architecture, where all the tools make sense to work with each other, where all the qualitative data is collected and informs tools when to act, when to stop. It's like a factory, like the e-commerce, uh, that's how I see it, as a factory, like a plant. So if someone doesn't do their job, the whole you know production stops. So that's how you should you should be able to think about your business as an e-commerce brand. Like, yeah, of course, marketing is sexy, ads are sexy, whatever, TikTok. But if behind you don't have a system to rely on, to be always on with high availability and high scalability, you're fucked. Period. Yep, you nailed it. And and I guess the the other benefit, you know, in in your architecture or or even if somebody tries to build something like what you guys have, which is really, you know, I, I call it a CDP on steroids. You would dispute that, whatever, whatever we want to call it. I don't really care what we want to call it. We're, 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 we're taking customer data. We're taking zero party data, which is explicit provided data. We're taking, we're taking first party data, which is the experiential data and all, all of the interactions and touch points that they have with our business. We're taking that inferred experiential data from those systems. Uh, and then we're combining that uh, in your scenario, we're combining that with the qualitative data so that things like for example let's give a let's give a real time scenario so let's say let's say you have a, a customer that fits into a segment uh, that would be pushed out of reveal into Clavio, uh, and they would normally be sent a certain workflow or a certain promotion or uh, whatever it might be, whatever workflow in terms of marketing they might fall into based on the products that they bought, the attributes of the products that they bought, whatever, whatever the, whatever the rule is, whatever the workflow is, whatever the dynamic uh, content in that email might be or that campaign might be, the reality is your system, what it allows you to do, as far as I understand, is if if through the qualitative piece, the customer is determined to effectively be pissed off with your brand, that can automatically remove that customer from that marketing segment so they're effectively suppressed from being emailed 
uh, a campaign that is likely to fall on not only deaf ears, but very angry ears. And is, it in fact could turn someone who maybe is lightly upset with you into someone who's an all and out all out and out detractor. And you know, that, that example that you gave, I've actually had that happen to me. So, so I bought something, I, I didn't get it. You know, I ordered something, I was supposed to get it the next day. I might not have got it for four days. Uh, you know, and literally before I even received the item, or conversely, I've received the item, I'm not happy with it, and I've emailed customer service, or I've messaged them on Facebook Messenger, and I've complained about the product, and I said I need a replacement, or whatever, and then I immediately get hit with a review request, a product review request, or worse, a testimonial request, uh, and, and I just, I immediately delete the email because I'm so angry uh, about the experience that I've had that I, that I think to myself, I'm not even going to do them the honor of getting a negative review from me or a negative testimonial. I'm I'm going to I'm going to get on social. I'm going to talk to my friends. I'm going to talk to my family, particularly if they don't resolve my issue in a reasonable amount of time and to my satisfaction. And you're you're right. There is just an absolute level of tone deafness within businesses about the automations and the workflows they have in place because they're not informed and there's no gates. There's no barriers to entry to those different touch points and the responses to those touch points. There's no automation built in to stop the bullshit experience that the customer is going to get maybe even up to 50% of the time. So the reality is, is that unless a brand actually cares you know, brands oftentimes are just doing what they're told. They're doing what Shopify tells them, or they're doing what their agency tells them, or they're doing what a consultant tells them, or they're they're just they're just using you know out of the box technology and a couple of cheap twenty dollar a month apps from the Shopify app store or something like that to automate abandoned carts and bits and pieces. You know, they 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 look at all of these automations and they look at all of these communications in absolute isolation, in total silos, and they say, okay, well, our abandoned cart is working well because we know that we convert, you know, five percent or ten percent or twenty percent of the abandoned carts that we emails we send. But what they don't think about is how badly pissed off those eighty percent that didn't convert from those might be. Not only that they even were sent the email in the first place but of what transpired between them and your brand in the intervening time between the time they abandoned and the time you sent them the email. So I think the key takeaway from this from my perspective is automation is fantastic, but when it is done in isolation and there is no data sharing happening between quantitative and qualitative systems, you are in deep, deep shit. 1000%. It's, it's real. Is real like you have to you this internal alignment thing is not just a bumper sticker this internal alignment it's not only across your resources i mean your company and your staff it's also across your tools and your tech stack and if watch and obviously you know what i think it's actually funny but a lot of times the uh are the software architecture inside a company and the strategy inside of company reflects the type of internal alignment that exists inside that company. Because if you, as a, from a management perspective and as a staff perspective, you know what the fuck you're doing, this is gonna be reflected in what you do. Because if you wanna see what a company does, you don't have to listen to what they're saying, you have to see what they're doing, right? So if you have 
uh, you know, uh, alignment on the, I always talk about this, this is business development one-on-one around your, uh, how you're structured to make money, your processes, your resource allocation, and the services that you're taking and the products that you're taking to market, this should be reflecting in your uh, software architecture because you need tools, right? You, you definitely need tools. So all the flaws that are inside of the ecosystem of software that you have installed in, um, you know, for your, uh, for your brand, are actually mirroring the issues that you have in the perception. So those silos inside of a company are the gaps inside of the customer journey that should be supported by apps. That's why, as you were saying, we're focusing on abandoned carts and we're happy for, I don't know, some bullshit returns which are not even returns actually they cost you more than uh, you know you actually get out of them and you're blinded to the whole customer journey and it's and it's sickening in a way because a lot of people are um uh, capitalizing on this lack of uh, you know of knowledge or the lack of awareness in this uh, in this aspect so what i suggest here is something that uh, i really believe in in the events part like you have to send events. For instance, with the net promoter score, uh, what we do is we send events to the customer support in Gorgias, where we send events in Clavio, and we're telling you like, this used to be your uh, a VIP customer, but he's very angry with his last order. You should have your someone from your customer support reach out. So that person is disconnected from the the campaigns and the promotions on the you know the current flows that they have and they are sent directly to customer support like our, our we work with a huge retailer called Artist Direct they're like a um artist supply um a retailer like it's actually the biggest one in our region and uh basically what they're using like everyone uses reveal for a reason but the reason why they're using reveal is for the net promoter score because they have a lot of b2b clients so when uh when you have b2b clients the the margins and everything is higher right it's not just like uh, someone you know like me buying a t-shirt when you have B2B clients, it's a whole different conversation. So they're using the net promoter score and constantly, constantly uh, measure pre and post. And whenever one of the companies that they're serving has a problem that goes to their customer support and the customer support escalates the situation. And only when the situation is resolved happily, that customer is sent back in the herd that they belong in. Other than that, they're removed. And the direct to consumer world is the same thing. If you have a VIP customer that received the damaged product or received a bad experience you have to stop whatever you were doing for that person so you don't lose them and try to fix it with your customer support or escalate it to, to send you know i don't know like there's a lot of companies that work with customer support and the brand owner sends a very heartfelt message so it's, it's a very good tactic so whatever you are doing you have to always be considerate about this qualitative aspect of it because it it, it really is detrimental or essential to how you will survive or not in uh, in this industry and uh, agreed with everything that you're saying is a hundred percent on point I think and I wish that brands would take more time architecting what they have in terms of automation and uh, tech stack and then try to uh, make sure that they're not missing out on opportunities and leave themselves less exposed to the threats that are existing right now in uh, in the market, especially with this type of you know buyers that we have right now that want everything to be you know just like that, like a snap. 
not couldn't couldn't agree with you more. Um, we we've we've been speaking for over an hour now, or just on an hour. So uh, you know, it's amazing how fast the time goes when you're having a awesome conversation with a friend. And uh, just to to sort of put a big red bow around this before we before we finish things off, um, there's there's two things that that come to mind, and you touched on this this one just very lightly uh, just a minute ago, which was that you know, especially in in my business, particularly as now I'm pivoting much more towards a B2B and D2C brand focus as opposed to a sort of a traditional aggregator retailer focus. Um, I'm finding that B2B brands, they're, they're, they obviously, they've got a lot more complexity in their customer grouping and their pricing model and their product model and their attribute model. Uh, and and what, what I'm often finding is they don't use a lot or hardly any of the same technology that we would traditionally see in a, a traditional e-commerce retailer, an omni retailer. And so they're new to the world of our marketing automation. They're new to, you know, personalization, on-site personalization. They're new to loyalty programs and systems. They're new to the concept of retention because they're B2B. And so they don't think they even have to think about retention. They're like, well, you know, we manufacture and, you know, if a, if a brand wants to buy off of us, you know, uh, our product, then they have to come to us. So, we, you know, we don't need to think about retention. Um, but the reality is in almost every category, there's more than one player. So even if you've got something that's quite unique, you're, you're probably not in a category that's 100% unique. So they do have options, even if those options are painful to execute on as a B2B business or as a D2C brand. Um, and so, you know, it's interesting to hear you speak about the fact that even B2B brands are starting to get religion around retention. They're starting to to get religion around customer experience. They're starting to get religion about lifetime value because you still have you still have a you still have a CLV um, for a B two B customer. It may be different, and the the customer life cycle may be different, and their oh, buying yeah. uh, your cycles will be different. But you still have a CLV. And you still have you still have you know B two B customers that you have a really close relationship with and are monogamous with you, and then you still have certain B two B customers that that will buy from the cheapest B two B supplier either in your category or, or of your product. So we still have a lot of the same dynamics at play. They just have to be informed by different systems and in most cases, more systems because B2B is a lot more complex as a rule because you don't just have one product, one price. You usually have one product, many prices and many different customer groups and you have to treat them differently as a result. So I guess um, having said all that, I guess two final quick, quick, very quick questions that I just love your thoughts on, you know, how in terms of your customer mix for your platform technology, what is the mix between say B2C, D2C and B2B, first of all? And then secondly, uh, just a final recap on how beneficial the death of third-party cookies and the iOS changes, how beneficial has that been? And have you seen demand for your technology and your way of thinking skyrocket as a result? So great questions, both of them. Actually, we had a whole company meeting yesterday and we we're talking about who are our uh, you know, users. And we do have across the whole e-commerce ecosystem different types of users. But the funny part is that the ones that are paying us the most and using us the most are actually retail retailers as well because when um, it's it's a different architecture, as you um, as you were saying. So we have Max Mara as a client. We have Decathlon. We have Office Direct. We have uh, Sephora. 
we have uh, mob expert and all of these guys are manufacturers or uh, you know huge retailers that have an online and offline presence and they uh, they are trying to do their best to um basically push their direct to consumer or e-commerce experience and but what's cool about these people that even if they don't have the complexity right in terms of technology and apps and the knowledge they come with the retail experience that is very customer centric so indeed is going to be a much more uh, learning curve when it comes to ecosystems and technology but from my experience so far um you, I met two types of people, the ones that do not understand direct-to-consumer at all, and they don't think it matters, and the ones that understand customer experience and customer, uh, you know, assistance and uh, sales that are trying to, uh, that are creative enough to understand how you can actually transform that in a digital, uh, in a digital way. So it's, we are lucky that the ones that we work with are big enough to get the whole uh, point, but we have smaller retailers that are just entering the, the market. And even if they don't have a huge online presence yet, they're not interested necessarily in the complex parts of review. They're interested in the net promoter score because they do believe even if you have new customers and it's just that for you right now, you're in an acquisition spree, you still need that qualitative data, right? So they're using a review for different purposes. A lot of people use us just for the RFM segmentation. A lot of us use us for the data and for Facebook acquisition campaigns. A lot of us use them, use us for all, or a lot of, or a lot of you know, a lot of users use us just for the net promoter score if they're in the beginning of the of the of the business. So yeah, I mean, we are serving primarily primarily uh, direct-to-consumer subscription uh, brands or CPGs or people, you know, like brands that have that sell products that are have a need to be replenished, like consumables, fashion, fast fashion, and so on. But it's also a, our biggest clients, honestly, in all honesty with you, are retailers <laughs> that uh, are, have a huge amount of stores, but also an on online presence. So it depends, you know, like we, we're not, I guess we are not the perfect app for a very, very small brand from, um, I guess, methodology point of view, but you cannot pick your winners. Like there's people that install review, like even today, I saw someone that installed that has 600 customers. Like obviously our methodology and segmentation is not even a conversation. When you have 600 customers, just get on the phone and call them, right? But they come to us, the small brands are coming to us for the educational piece that we give because we're trying to teach our support team and our sales team. And, you know, even I go in a lot of calls where I'm just trying to give the brand some sort of perspective on what they can do, regardless if they use a reveal or not. Like, I'm not trying to tap no one tied to or, you know, to, to, to the software. Uh, but yeah, that, that's it. And as for the, the changes that are happening right now due to privacy, I mean, for me, it's very exciting. Like we were talking about this, Jason, for years. We, we weren't using the specific words of privacy and iOS 14.5 uh, or iOS 15, but we knew that the whole ad spree and the, you know, the spray and pray and the, you know, the cheap vanity metrics are going to be, you know, ending at some point. So I actually support what iOS, uh, you know, uh, 15 is bringing and what iOS 14 brought 
and I support Apple's, uh, I mean, they, obviously, you know, there's always going to be some background story. Of course, they're building their e-commerce, their commerce, you know, um, uh, I guess, dimension, and they have their own data, and they want to keep it for themselves, and so on. I mean, that's Apple's, uh, you know, uh, a bit. But also, I like the fact that they're focused on privacy, because, you know what, like, maybe this industry did need a shakedown, because a lot of people are using the same basic unimaginative tactics that, you know, segmentation based on open rates or click-through rates, or, you know, the, the ads that they're doing using huge banks of irrelevant third-party data. So right now, I feel that only the people that know what the fuck they're doing will be able to succeed once all these changes will actually become more preeminent and, you know, implemented. And um, from where I stand, from uh, I made the public statement, as you saw, I made a press release immediately after the, the Apple announcement. Some people say it's not good to be first, but we had a lot of people that asked us, how will this affect? their current ecosystem with Reveal and Clavio and uh, uh, Omnisend or whatever else they were using. And I had to do that public statement to uh, assure the brands that the people that are using Reveal will not have that segmentation problem because Reveal is a segmentation engine, you know, at the end of the day, so they can find the, the, the active and the uh, you know, vibrant customers by using the RFM segmentation and mixed with uh, uh, the, the the engagement bit that you can do different types of surveys in the email. Like, it's, it's, it's a lot of things, you know. I don't want to, like, sell what we're doing right now, but just, like, just for, like, the sake of the conversation, we are ready to support people uh, that are using Reveal in this, and they would not be affected because the way we, um, I guess, help brands is to focus on the creative part and the customer experience part. So just as an ending thought, I think customer experience will become the main I guess the most essential part of it because you have to use the customer experience data that you can collect from you know this qualitative mix of qualitative and quantitative data to actually implement it in the advertising and in the email and you have to be fucking creative and you have to, you cannot be lazy anymore with your 20% off discount campaigns and you have to create like the secret of this whole email thing for, with iOS 15 is to create emails that are engaging because you have to make customers interact and react so you can track that sort of, uh, you know, uh, activity. So you have to be creative and you have to know what you're doing and you have to inform yourself on the data. So you have zero party data, you have first party data, and you have to use it to do better when it comes to advertising and when it comes to email marketing. It's not going to it's not going to work anymore with all the bullshit that was working until now. So I'm happy, very, very happy about this, uh, this situation because it's finally bringing customer experience in the, you know, in the center and the brands that will fail to deliver on customer experience will have very, very big issues because as I see it, customer experience is your product. Couldn't agree more. Totally agree with you. And in fact, uh, those are the brand, the brands that are already doing this better than the rest uh, are the kind of clients that we both love to work with anyway. The brands that 
already care about the customer experience. They care about retention. They care about customer lifetime value. They care about what's said, you know, said about their brand in the marketplace. They care about, you know, the NPS score and what the NPS score is able to tell them about the pre and post purchase experience. They care about, you know, things like what Danny Phillips is talking about with Omnio about, about using data for them, for the customer to be able to interact with your brand as and when they want to, not when you simply want to market to them. So I think, you know, for me, my perspective is this is a great thing. It's a great thing for the industry. It's going to blow out a whole lot of crappy brands that were relying on cheap and nasty acquisition uh, to, to stay alive, frankly. Uh, and, and what's going to be left standing is the better quality brands that have either recently got religion around customer experience or always had it. Uh, and also it's going to make a bigger market opportunity for people like you and like me and for, for other people that work in our space that actually care about the, the brands and what they stand for and how they behave towards their customers. For those of us that that matters to, it's actually going to make the market bigger for us, not smaller. So uh, I, I see it. I agree with you. Look, there's going to be some massive pain and some massive challenges in the short term for a lot of these businesses to try to adapt as quickly as they're going to need to adapt to this brave new world of quote unquote privacy. Uh, but ultimately in the long term, I think it leads to a very good place. And I think a lot of, you know, retail's in trouble. The reality is that your, your me too retailers, your aggregator retailers that are selling the same widget that thousand other retailers are selling, every one of those retailers is in trouble. And, and most likely 80 to 90% of those retailers will be dead in the next 10 years. They will be out of business. And the, the D to C brands, uh, will come to the fore, uh, manufacturers, wholesalers, distributors, they're all going to be fine. Um, the, you know, and, and, and even highly curated retailers that have an exclusive range, but they're still selling other people's products, meaning they don't make them themselves, but they have a real focus on curation. They have a real focus on customer experience. I think they're going to be just fine. Uh, and I think that bodes well for, for people like us who, who do genuinely care about the end customer experience. So I'm excited. I actually think that the, it's, yeah. a, it's, it's a world of opportunity for all of us that have kind of kept the faith, even while, you know, we've kept the faith during a period of time where acquisition was so dirt cheap that it didn't make commercial sense for most brands to actually focus on customer retention. Um, cause they, they couldn't make the math stand up to how cheap acquisition was through Google ads and through Facebook ads. That table is now turning. You know, we have 50% more Facebook ads and we have 30% increase in ads, uh, ad costs over the last 12 months in Facebook alone. That ad inflation is going to go through the roof over the next eight, 18 months, brands that were marginal to begin with and based on cheap acquisition, they are toast. So thank oh, you very, very much for your thoughts. Thank you very much for your wisdom. Thank you for sharing all of the learnings that you have uh, through not only your platform, but the engagements you have with your customers. I so appreciate your time and I, and I love what you're doing in the marketplace. And let's um, let's catch up again in the next six months or so. And, and let's let's see what else iOS has in store and what Google has in store for the world and, and how it's going to continue to upset the Apple cart because it's going to be an interesting ongoing discussion. Thank you so much for having me. I had fun. I love talking to you as always. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm excited as well. Let's, uh, let's see what's going to happen. It's, it, it, it's an interesting time to be alive right now and be working in this industry for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I think yeah. we all have a bright future ahead of us. Thank you so much. We'll, we'll chat again soon, Juliana. Thank you. Thanks.
Thanks for listening to the At The Coalface podcast. If you want more At The Coalface, you can subscribe to our premium e-commerce and digital newsletter, At The Coalface Digest.